Welcome, everybody. I'm Richard Krause. I hope you're staying happy, healthy, and safe. It's a big show, so let's dive right in. Later in the show, we'll meet author Justin Cronin. In 2010, his novel The Passage became a phenomenon. The unforgettable tale that critics and readers compared to the novels of Cormac McCarthy, Michael Crichton, Stephen King, and Margaret Atwood became a runaway bestseller and was loved by readers around the globe. His latest book, The Ferryman, is a riveting standalone novel about a group of survivors on a hidden island utopia where truth isn't exactly what it seems. No less an expert than Stephen King said about the book, The Ferryman is next to impossible to put down once you've read the first few pages. Exciting, mysterious, and totally satisfying. This is a book to get lost in. Lots more on that later. We'll also meet actor Melanie Scrofano. You know her from everything from the Crave comedy series Letterkenny and the comedy drama series Being Erica to the CTV fantasy drama series The Listener and the sci-fi modern western drama Winona Earp. Today, we talk about her latest movie, The End of Sex. First, though, let's hang out with Thomas Hayden Church. He became a star as mechanic Lowell Mather on the sitcom Wings, was nominated for an Academy Award for his performance in Sideways, and has had supporting roles in films like Tombstone, George of the Jungle, The Specials, and Demon Knight. Today, we talk about his new movie, Acid Man. In the film, he plays Lloyd, a reclusive man who lives in the middle of nowhere and spends his time searching for UFOs. He's estranged from his daughter Maggie and has been given the nickname Acid Man by the locals because of his strange behavior. One day, his daughter arrives to pass along some important news and they end up attempting to make contact with UFOs and each other. Thomas Hayden Church joined me via Zoom from Texas. Guess I could have picked up a little had I known you were making the trip. Dad, what made you pick this place? It's a good place to be left alone. Oh, look. Airplane? No, think interplanetary. You can say it. A UFO? Yes, yes. (laughs) Well, technically it's an IFO because you just identified it. Congratulations on Acid Man. Thank you. Thank you so much. I have read where you say you always put something of yourself uh, as an actor or a writer, uh, into a performance. So when I was watching this movie, I was wondering, what are the similarities between Thomas Hayden Church and Lloyd? Are there any? Um, yeah. I mean, we're the same age. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, I, you know, what I probably meant by that was I always try to find a way to put myself in the character mm. and then and and then in that process you know put the character inside myself which you know not in some methody way which i do admire people that go all the way with method acting but that's not how i learned mm. um and so with lloyd i have throughout especially my adult life I've been accused by many uh, relationships, uh, family, friends of kind of being a loner and enjoying being alone. And, you know, I've had almost 24 years now, I've had a ranch um, in in Texas. I'm in San Antonio. This is my ranch about an hour and a half uh, north of, of San Antonio. 
And I, I, I've spent a lot of time living there alone over that period of time. Um, but even when I lived in LA, I lived alone. <laughs> I just, it seems like I've lived alone. I, I have lived alone since completely alone. You know, I mean, I, I have children, I have yeah. a wife. I mean, I, you know, but, and I don't, I don't always live alone, but even my 18 year old college freshman daughter, she just said to me recently, she was like, you really do prefer to be alone. And I said, as selfish as it is to hear you say that about me, uh, I said, yeah, yeah, it is. It's true. It's, it's just, it's, it's just how I'm built, but, mm. but I like to talk, you know, I mean, I do, I enjoy talking to people and, and I certainly talking about projects, but, but I would say that is sort of like the low hanging fruit is that Lloyd's a loner and, and, and I've oft been accused of it. Well, I think that we see Lloyd as uh, aloof, but I think that I also thought that he, he was much more knowing, much more intelligent, had much more on the ball than I think I thought he did at first. As I, as we go through the movie, I think that my opinion of him changed greatly. And right. I guess that's probably what we're supposed to do, right? We're supposed to feel something for him as we go into his life a little bit. Well, you know, we we had nine months to prepare for, you know, our very short shooting schedule right. um, uh, because of the pandemic. And, uh, you know, Diana and, and Alex and I spent a tremendous amount of time on the phone um, and Zoom just going through scenes and going through narrative points. and you know, and listening to Alex, you know, visualization of sequences and the story. And you're listening to Thomas Hayden Church on the Richard Krause show. His new film, Acid Man, is playing in a theater near you. And so th that was, I, I learned a lot about her relationship with her father, Alex with his, they heard a lot about me with mine. And, and it all just started, it just became this beautiful sort of concoction mm. that at sometimes it was like I wasn't even aware and I said as much to Diana and to Alex that there were sometimes there was nuance or there was a reaction or or a, 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 a you know a tick or something that I'm that may have just come into my brain from them and from them talking about their fathers and talking about their paternal relationships and um, and then, you know, you can never completely remove your own father and your own life experience, because like they say, it's always it's the first guy you meet, you know, <laughs> it's the first guy you you meet have a you, you meet in a meaningful way. Nobody could ever support me in anything that I had to do that was important. I'm going to thank you for traveling 2000 miles to be here. He thinks very highly of himself. <laughs> so what are you doing here? Kind of ran away from home. You're just a little bit lost right now. I can just be here. I was here first. At the beginning, yeah, no, you're you're not off the mark at all. When you first meet him, it's like you know this is just like some an eccentric weirdo, and uh, like I was saying about you know the real Lloyd, um, you know from rural Alabama, hmm. um, uh, that you know. But then you you know she at one point she's like what is, the, you know, what is this? You're an engineer. And I was like, 
yeah, I am an engineer, but this is what I do. You know, this is what I, I'm not just an engineer. Mm. You know, I'm, I, I'm making this chaotic metallic music. I'm, you know, I am going and, and putting a hell of a lot of faith into what you think are just blinking lights. I know is a meaningful attempt for this civilization to communicate with me. And I have a responsibility to communicate with them. And so everything as we go along, yeah, I agree with you. You, you really start to understand the intensity uh, and focus of his mission and, 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 and this very real presence in his mind of what he has, what's been kind of set upon him. So well, it, it would be easy uh, to think of him as a burnout, I think, right. but, but I didn't walk away thinking that from him. I mean, I think that there might be issues of mental illness that, that are explored a little bit in the film and there's yes. that, but, but I don't, I, what I liked about this is that my expectations of this character were subverted as I watched the film. Good. Yeah, that's exactly what, what what we wanted, Richard. People are loving the film. Uh, you, I've been looking at some of the reviews and some of the things that have been written about it, and it must feel gratifying after the body of work that you have and the amount of success that you've had. And you know, you know that people love you. To hear people say this is a career best performance from you, I was very flattered by that. I was very very flattered by that. I I've been meaning to send a case of champagne. <laughs> to uh, the gentleman at IndieWire who wrote yeah. who wrote that, but then it like was syndicated everywhere because I saw it's like the London Mail. <laughs> it was like career best performance, and you know, so you know, hey man, it it got blasted out there, and no, it's the the reviews and for Diana also mm -hmm. have been have been quite lovely, and and you know it yeah it it to have something that you put a lot of time into and we did i mean we prepped for nine months before we shot it so and you know so thank you so much richard you remember sedona yeah it was great four fire trucks nobody got hurt mom's eyebrows were singed off <laughs> i told her to get back i also think that people will uh, respond to this when they get to see when it comes out officially and goes wide. They'll be able to respond to it, I think, because we've been thinking about a lot of the themes that are in this movie because of the pandemic, yes. loneliness, mental health, all that sort of thing. And we see that brought to the screen in a way that is not pandemic related. That's the right. thing. You know, you're not wearing masks. We're not here. And, and I think that people will respond to that and it will give them food for thought. And I think that will be the 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 drink that you have after the movie with your friends that's what they'll be talking about wow thank you very thoughtful yeah yeah that was thomas hayden church on the richard krauss show his film acid man is in select theaters right now check it out it's a pretty cool movie let's meet melanie scrafano she starred in the crave comedy television series letter kenny the comedy drama series being erica the ctv fantasy drama series the listener and the sci-fi modern western drama winona earp today we talk about her latest movie the end of sex in the film emma and josh are excited to have some time alone while their twin daughters are away at camp but their romantic week becomes a series of sexual adventures in an attempt to revitalize their relationship.
Melanie Scrofano, join me via Zoom. How often would you say you and Emma are having an orgasm? A, once a day, B, twice a day, or C, you're constantly in an orgasmic fog. The minimum in there is, is, is once a day. You play a character uh, named Wendy uh, in The End of Sex, who kind of turns into a stalker after a threesome that you have with the couple that are kind of at the, the, the heart of the film. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, what it is. What's the key to getting that character right? For me, it was just like, I'm I'm a very... The, I'm the type of person that when I let someone in, I, like I let them in all the way. And I think that that's what Wendy is. She just is like, she has so much enthusiasm and love so that for her, it's not, I mean, for everyone else, it's stalking, but for her, it's like, we touched and now we're together, right? Like it's, and I, I bet just so many people can relate to that feeling of like, oh, it's just going to be a one night stand. And then there, there's like the the pheromones happen and then you're like i'm in love with you now and we're gonna be together forever and that's just what i feel we are now joined yeah forever and ever and ever you assume that it's the same for the other person that it was for you and what was it generally speaking about the script for the end of sex uh that really drew you in uh well i've been with my husband for 24 years uh this year and we have congratulations to Thank you. I like him. And, um, and so just reading it, it, I, I just thought back to all these girls nights I had where we just get together and talk about like our sex lives. And it just really struck me how different everybody is in their marriage after kids. And some people are like oh, twice a week. And I'm like, what, what kind of robot are you? You sex pervert and so um I, I just i just thought that was really relatable and interesting well it's a movie i think that that asks uh, some kind of it's a very funny film but it asks some questions i think that people have been who have been together uh for a long time would probably ask i've been with my wife for 21 years so it's been you know it's a long time as well and i i wonder I guess the question is, you know, would you return to being the person that you were before or do things naturally change and, and it's okay. The relationship can be the same, but, but it, it, it goes through, it's like everything. It grows up and it matures and it becomes something else. And I think that's something that probably a lot of us who are in very long-term relationships think about. That's a great point. And you know, it's like, yeah, you're trading off like maybe what <laughs> that energy that you had before, but also I'm just like really jealous and silly. Like I, I don't, we wouldn't still be together if I was still like that. So if you want that sex life, then you also get the cute, but a psycho person. <laughs> you know? So there is something beautiful about that evolution. Well, I was reading about you, and other than your love of space balls, which Who's we can talk soccer now. I mean, no, it's me now. It's me now. So, it, other than that, we can talk about that if you want. But you say that the movie that made you want to be an actor is Quills. Yeah. With Kate Winslet and Joaquin Phoenix, Jeffrey Rush, I think, plays the Marquis de Sade in that film. So, I haven't seen it for a very long time, but definitely I, I have very strong kind of flashes of memory. From it, what was it about that movie that that drew you in? I don't remember. I yeah. just remember I, I was like I was not yet the 
an, a, you know, studying the craft. I just mm. was affected. I either was affected by something or I wasn't. And that movie really affected me. I felt like the performances were so, felt so real and blistered and um, it just really, I was super emo. I'm sure that had something to do with it. You're listening to Melanie Scrofano on The Richard Krause Show. Her new film, The End of Sex, is in theaters now. And then one year at TIFF, I my manager was like, oh, here, meet Jeffrey. And it was Jeffrey Rush. And I couldn't, I couldn't speak. I was just like, I, I can't do this. This is, this is too, too soon. It's too soon. <laughs> I saw the movie 10 years ago, but it's still too soon. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, and, uh, but I was thinking when you, you said about the, the jealousy and all that sort of thing of the younger years, as I recall, Quills, it has a, a kind of dark view of sexuality in it, I think that's what made me think of of, of make the connection there between. Wow, Richard, you should write for Sparks Notes, Cole's <laughs> like, notes or something, because you make connections. <laughs> I don't know what Sparks Notes is, but if they're looking, I'm always available. Where if you're trying to sound smart and you haven't read Macbeth, you go on Sparks and. And they're like, oh, the, there's a, it's just, uh, it's like quills, but uh, different. And you're like, ah, yes, I'll pull that out at a party. This was our one chance to prove that we're not sexually incompatible. We're not the couple that yells at each other, okay? Right. When we have a problem, we fix it. Calmly! One person at a film festival, after a film festival that saw the movie, was like, I want you to know that we stopped having sex. <laughs> we had two kids, we stopped having sex, but then it got right back up when the kids grew up. And now it's like, and she, you know, she was like, we're having sex all the time. And I'm like, all right, um, good for you. Congratulations. Thank you for the overshare. Yeah. yeah. But it is truly an evolution. Well, I think that, you know, the, the original movie, My Awkward Sexual Adventure was 10 years ago. So maybe wait, like, 20 years or 25 years, make another one because apparently old folks' homes are just hotbeds. Stop it. Hotbeds. I didn't, but I'll take it. Uh, uh, yeah, are hotbeds of, of sexual activity. So maybe that's the third part of the trilogy. That's the title. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Wendy can be running the whole facility and inserting oh. herself into, in, into people's lives. You can't say inserting. You can't say inserting in this context, Richard. <laughs> that was, uh, again, another thing that really I didn't think about, but I'm leaving it in. Yeah. Uh, tell me a little bit about making uh, a film like this of the of, of the kind of nature that it is. It's not an explicit film, but, you know, there 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 are moments in it. I guess people, we, we, we see things where there are intimacy, what are they called? Intimacy coordinators. Did, did you have any of that on set? And uh, how do you feel about them? Yeah, we did have an intimacy coordinator, which was really helpful. Um, I think it is a movie that could have lent itself easily to nudity and uh, all sorts of, and, um, but the story didn't need it because like you said, ultimately the story isn't about the act, it's about what it represents. And so, um, so the director, Sean and, and Jonas who wrote it and starred in it, they just were so lovely about kind of being like, it's not about that. So do what makes you comfortable. Um, and then Emily and I had a, um, a choreography meeting and we just talked about what the shot would be and what was required. Um, 
and making it work so that we first of all knew ahead of time so that we didn't just show up and go you get down there um but uh so you can get your head around it and then and then once you know what the choreography is it almost feels like a fight scene where you just like oh hit this mark do this and then it's over well nice to see you thank you so much and congratulations on the movie Thank you, Richard. It was really nice talking to you. That was Melanie Scrafano on The Richard Krause Show. Find her new movie, The End of Sex, at a theater near you. These past few days, I've been thinking a lot about sex. You've been thinking about the sex of people who aren't me. Let's meet Justin Cronin, the best-selling author of The Passage Trilogy, which spent three months on the New York Times bestseller list, was featured on more than a dozen best-of-the-year lists, and inspired a Fox TV series. The book series took 10 years to write. Now he returns with The Ferryman, a standalone novel set on a group of islands hidden from the horrors of a crumbling outside world. The lucky citizens enjoy fulfilling lives until the monitors that are embedded in their forearms that are meant to measure their physical health and psychological well-being, when they fall below 10%, well, the people retire themselves. They take a ferry ride to the island known as the nursery, where their bodies are renewed, their memories are wiped clean, and they are readied to restart life afresh. Trouble is, Proctor Bennett, one of the people who gently shepherd people through the retirement process, finds himself questioning everything he once believes and goes on a desperate mission to uncover the truth. It's getting great reviews. Stephen King called the ferryman next to impossible to put down once you've read the first few pages. Exciting, mysterious, and totally satisfying. This is a book to get lost in. Justin Cronin joined me from Texas to talk about The Ferryman. Uh, and thanks for taking some time to do this today. I appreciate it. Well, I'm, I'm very happy to, to do it. There's there's no writer who doesn't really want to talk to somebody about their books. You know, right. you, you live alone with them for a long time, and there's a moment when you don't have to be alone with it. Well, it's an interesting time, right? I, you know, this isn't your first book, but I remember when my first book came out, uh, you know, you have that part of your deal where you get 25 or 30, I can't remember what it is. You get a number of copies. They send you a box of, of copies. Right. And I just remember the moment that that box arrived and my whole life had kind of led up to that moment. It sounds dramatic, I know, but I'd always wanted to write a book. Finally, I had one out and I thought, as soon as I open this box, that dream is over. Like the, the, now I have to do it again or. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, it's both triumph and tragedy, right? You yeah. Know? Because a, you never have to write that book again, which is always sort of a, comes as a sort of a relief. And then of course you're, you know, you're, you're at zero, you know, yeah. it's like the day after Christmas. But you, but it's the accomplishment of it all, though. You've you've done it. You got it down on paper. You got your ideas down. And now, as you say, now you get a little bit of time, uh, a window to talk about it. So I'm glad you're able to join us to do that uh, for the ferryman. So you say that your philosophy is that you have to write the book that's asking you to write it. Tell me what that means. Well, I guess it means that there's something that comes into your head that starts behaving like it wants to shove everything out right and you know as an example you know i'll, I'll use the ferryman as an example because it's it's pretty it's a pretty good one it really shows what the process is like you know i was working on the passage trilogy for close to 10 years you mm -hmm. know so there, there was this you know there was this huge story in my head 
And it was in my head too. People think I was some great accountant and, and spreadsheets. And so I had no idea how to do any of that. You know, I was just, I just had to grow a bunch of hat sizes and hold the whole thing in my, you know, between my ears. And so when it was all over, right, 10 years had gone by and I had a little book that was my cool ideas book, right, for what I would do next. And so, of course, you know, across the period of, you know, nearly a decade, uh, I'd be going, oh, yeah, maybe that's a good idea, you know, and I'd write it down. And they were, they were good ideas, right? And so when I finished the passage, I assumed after a brief period of mental <laughs> recuperation, I would take up one of those. And, but then this other thing just came into my head in like little bits and pieces. And it just started to become really insistent. It was like the, it was like the boor at a party. You know? <laughs> it's, just the, it's the one that just starts talking to you and you can't shut it up. And, and so, and you're kind of waiting for it to start making sense. And that's a really anxious period because it, it, as I said, like you really want to start something, you have all these cool ideas, but for whatever reason, they're just not connecting. Right. And so this other thing comes along and it's in a state of, you know, it's a squealing toddler, right? It, it's completely annoying. <laughs> and, um, so for some period of time, you just have to live with that kind of racket in your head until somehow it coheres. You're listening to Justin Cronin on The Richard Krause Show. His book, The Ferryman, is available wherever you buy fine books. And there were a number of things uh, that I've read that were the real direct lines to this. Uh, one uh, was uh, that you, um, let me just see here, you were in Cape Cod on a beautiful starry night, and then you say three things happened in kind of rapid succession. Right. And uh, now, is that part of what you just described, or is this something else that was an addendum to that original flash yeah, of no, no, that's that squealing where, toddler? That's kind of where it started, right? It really was just like, at you know, that was when the toddler started to like be obnoxious, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because it was not long after I'd come off kind of the final tour of um, for the, the passage for the last volume, I just got back from Australia where I'd spent a wonderful month. And and it was, it was a beautiful, clear, starry night. And I, I like to walk before bed when I'm on the Cape, um, not in Houston, the walking here is terrible, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, on the, but on the Cape, you know, it's, it's, it's wonderfully silent and, you know, not a lot of ambient light. And I was taking this walk and, and, you know, two things happened that I could talk about. I can't really talk about the third because it's a giant spoiler, right? Mm -hmm. But the first thing that happened was that like this word dropped into my head out of nowhere and it was the word Oranios, which I had no idea what it was. It was just a kind of sound in my head initially. Um, I had no idea where it came from. And of course I went and figured out later that it was a variation on the name Uranos, the God of the heavens. Um, translating roughly as just celestial mm. and then and then a scene popped into my head which was a, a, a an, an old man um by the sea like on a wharf or you know on a, on a jetty something like that and of course i was in such a place at the time um having some kind of psychological meltdown right and scaring the wits out of everybody around him and these things ha seem to have something to do with one another. And in fact, ultimately, you know, those things became really the first major scene of the novel. But I couldn't start it until something else collided with it, which is what always happens. I'll have like one thing and then I need another big thing. That kind of, I, I think I said in the interview with PW, it's like, it's like two atoms making a molecule. And 
Yeah, that's kind of always what has happened in the past. And I feel like my books are made of two impulses that kind of like link together. And so um, that, you know, the, the, that was the thing that took a while to work out. I think if I can suggest that there is another weird influence here that mm -hmm. I picked up from reading about you uh, in that uh, in the character of uh, the proctor in the in the book, um, he's someone who realizes that he is different <laughs> at a certain right. point. I don't want to, I, I'm talking around things because I don't want to give anything away, but he realizes he's different. And I read where uh, you grew up in New York state, uh, family was from Massachusetts. You eventually ended up going to school in Westchester County, just north of New York city. And you went and the quote is, I went into this world in which we all seem to be alike, but in fact, we're not. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if that sort of realization fed into this book at all, because it yeah. seems to me that there is this idea where everyone understands the path they're on. And then you realize, well, maybe, maybe we're not. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, every writer or artist, I think has some experience of just feeling kind of out of sync with the mm. ordinary movements and organizations of the social world. And it will, it will start at some point in, I think when they're quite young. And I mean, and people say, were you a reader as a kid? And, I was, and you know, the answer is yes, but that was a solution to the problem of feeling kind of out of sync. Right. right. And um, so I, you know, I ultimately chose literature as the thing I would study. And then as the thing I would try on my own to manufacture. Um, but, you know, it's, it's the great old modernist problem, right? Which, you know, which is we're all alone in our own head. Right, we're all alone in our own head, and writers are people who just make a living off of that. <laughs> and, you know, we just turn it into our job. You know, uh, you know, one of the reasons I've always delighted when a book is done and I get to talk to people is that for years at a time, I've barely done that. Right. And I'm in here kind of a social guy. I like people, and but. Every, you know, I, I barely leave the house. The pandemic hardly must a hair in my head. So you were talking about writing large-scale action scenes. I do remember in the 70s buying a lot of books that were novel adaptations of big movies that were out at the time. Right, so, they used to do that all the time, yeah. Yeah, the novel came after the movie, and they'd hire somebody, some guy that could probably write a book in, uh, yeah. in three weeks to, to bang these things out. But well, they sometimes, were, they were, sometimes they were good. The best example well, of that is 2001. Arthur Clarke wrote the screenplay, and then he wrote the novel. I'm thinking, though, of not Arthur C. Clarke, but, you know, of uh, some of the adaptations of, you know, books, uh, movies like Mother Jugs and Speed and things yeah. like that that, <laughs> yeah. that I would have picked up, right? That that were just that were just true knockoffs, but written by people who had, you know, a, a, a sense of immediacy in their writing, a sense of urgency in their writing. But mm -hmm. I have a feeling if we look back at those, we'd see some pretty cool writing. Yeah, I mean, kind of following the, 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 the structure, the sort of visual rhetoric of film and television but mostly film because it's got the budget for large-scale action yeah um that was where i found most of my analogs for finding kind of the rhetorical tools kind of sounds such a nerd but like the rhetorical tools for handling for instance the scene in which a lot is going on which is a lot of heat and light and kinetic energy but it's for instance going on in multiple locations simultaneously having an impact on each other and leading for towards these elements colliding in, in one space right? Which is kind of the definition of a big action scene, right? In a lot yeah. of different ways. 
how do you do that? Like, how do you operate the, the point of view on that? Not just like, how do you control the pacing, but how do you find a way to give the reader a sense of everything that's going on without feeling overly much the puppeteer, the hand of the writer doing it. You don't want it to feel written. That's absolutely a moment where you want people to just totally drop down into the right. world. Right. And you can't draw any attention to yourself, even as you're, you know, manipulating the text really, you know, pretty aggressively. You're listening to Justin Cronin on The Richard Krause Show. His book, The Ferryman, is available wherever you buy fine books. Now, there are a lot of surprises uh, in this book. And I just wonder if you knew where it was going to end as you start. I would rather be locked in the trunk of a car in the hot sun with a weasel than not know the end. Okay. Wow. <laughs> yeah, I need the end. I need the end because it means I am the person who knows the story in its entirety, which I think is my job. Right. right? So it's not even that I know the end. I know the last sentence. I because yeah, because the, the book is made of words. And, you know, people are like, this book is really wordy. I'm like, well, what else is it going to be? Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I need to know the last sentence. And because it's it's the it's the North Star of the whole book. Yeah. It's where everything's going. And so it's like, I always say, like, writing a novel for me is like playing jazz. You know, there's a kind of essential melodic line. Like somewhere in the background, you know that this is bewitched, bothered, and bewildered. Right. But the, but the but the you know the the musicians are just kind of going all over the place around it with that yeah. as sort of the the, the chord that hangs. Like, you, the you're going to John Coltrane it, yeah. Right, exactly. So like I I need to know what that chord is and like where it's you know where what the terminal moment is even before I start. Like I might write a few exploratory pages, but I will really pause because what makes me want to write a book, oddly enough is not really knowing the situation of the novel, kind of where it starts. I do know that, I have a feel for it, but really knowing what, what the end is. That's to me is a story in my head. It harkens back to watching Planet of the Apes when you were a kid. Right. That thing had an ending, man, <laughs> that you yeah. remember, well, I mean, and it, and it felt have, justified. Oh my God, I'm back. I'm home all the time. Finally, really did it. You maniacs! You blew it up! Oh, damn you! God! You all to hell! I couldn't have written the unless I knew how it ended. Yeah. I couldn't have, like, because I had to make everything work, all the little details. And, um, yeah, which was... And why it took so long to write, too, because, yeah, okay, I knew the ending, and then I had to make everything cohere to it, and it was often hard to do it because all the little sort of ramifications, the little cause and effect, sort of billiard balls bouncing around a table while I was writing it, you know, something would get dislodged by one thing, you know. You know. I, I'm not a total nerd for this stuff. Like, I love talking about craft and how these things are made, yeah. which is why I still teach. I teach one class a year because it kind of, keeps me in that thought process. Right, right. Uh, talking about 70s movies, we talked about Planet of the Apes. Did Logan's Run pass through your mind at all <laughs> while you were working on this? Yeah, Jenny Auger in that movie, I think she, like, started puberty for okay? <laughs> like, you know. <laughs> Imagine a world in which you need never be alone. You touch a switch, turn a dial, and the perfect lover steps into your arms. Every pleasure is yours to experience. Runner! There's just 
one catch. When the tiny crystal in the palm of your hand flashes its final message, your time is up. I loved it. There was not there was not a major or even minor science fiction movie that period that I did not love. Right. And and by the way, Logan's Run example of the thing you mentioned before, where there was a movie and then somebody wrote a novel based on the screenplay. And I had that book. It was like one of my summer novels. I bought it at I can tell you, paperback booksmith at the Cape Cod Mall. Those books were so important to me. For some reason, it ignited my imagination. And I'm not sure if they were any good or not. I don't remember. But Who for cares? me, they're very important. Who cares? Yeah. Right. Who cares? Like, I got most of my books because, of course, YA really wasn't a thing then. They were just kind yeah. of little gems. But in the 70s, that was not, people were not really writing for that space between, you know, children's books and yeah. then adult books. So I got most of my books at a paperback, a used paperback book sale at my school. They had it once a year and everybody would come and dump their, you know, the sort of mass market paperbacks of yeah. all the best sellers of the era. So, you know, I was reading Airport and um, Day of the Jackal and, you know, all this <laughs> sort of stuff, right? It's wonderful. You know, it's wonderful. It's like going back and thinking about these books, especially some of the, you know, the kind of science fiction stuff that I, I read and really loved at that time was kind of what drew me back to writing within what is loosely nameable a genre. I kind of don't like the term, but like yeah. I started bringing, you know, I started out as just a straight up literary realist trying to be Chekhov, you know, and that was my education. You know, I, I, you know, I had an English major that was, you know, very old fashioned and wonderful. I read everything, you know, and, um, but then I realized, you know, these are the books I really loved. I loved the plot. I loved it when characters were running for their lives. It's the best characterization tool that I know is Jeopardy. Mm. You, you cannot not be yourself when you're running for your life. <laughs> and so I, I just went back to that stuff and I discovered that was kind of what I'd wanted to do all, all along, even you know, from the very start when I was reading those books in you know 1976. That was Justin Cronin on The Richard Krauss Show. Find his book, The Ferryman, wherever you buy fine books. Big thanks to Justin for stopping by. Big thanks to Melanie Scrofano. The End of Sex is in theaters right now. Also a big thanks to Thomas Hayden Church. You can find his movie Acid Man also playing in a theater near you. Of course, as always, my biggest thanks goes to you for listening. I'm Richard Krause. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe, stay weird, and we'll talk to you again soon. Mm -hmm.